0: It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to continue our series this week uh, with this new series that we we call Your Future Self Will Thank You. And uh, we've been looking at this idea, sort of the answer to the question, what spiritual attribute, what, what kind of... Uh, Um, Spiritual virtue do we need In order to accomplish goals To be able to accomplish resolutions In this new year Or be able to accomplish anything in this new year What have we been talking about The last couple of weeks What is the answer to that question Anybody can just say it out loud Self control Thank you so much That's right We've been talking about self control It's the last in the list When um, Paul lists the, the fruit of the spirit And this is the last one That's sort of like This one is critical and foundational To all the rest That you have to have self-control So here's the definition I've been giving you It's simply doing the right thing Or doing what's right Even when you don't feel like it Being willing and able to do, if you can get yourself to do the right thing, especially when you don't want to, that is one of the most powerful and important skills to gain in this life. All you have to do is talk to somebody that doesn't do this or didn't do this in one area, a critical area of their life, and now they're living with the consequences and wishing they had done that that you see, oh my goodness, we really need to pay attention to this. And this is something really important that God wants us to incorporate. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've, we covered quite a bit of ground. Week one, <clears throat> we talked about the purpose. We need to know why, the why behind the self-control. The self-control isn't just so we can look real good and people to be jealous of us, right? It isn't just to make us more successful. There is a God-given divine Um, sacred goal behind the purpose, uh, behind the self-control that God's called us to. We spent a week talking about that. Last week, we talked about the enemies of self-control. It was kind of an alarming, sobering message about the fact that we are fallen and fallible, and we need God's help. It doesn't take very long to look at the fact that we don't have this all figured out, and we don't have all the answers, and we we do need God's input. And we talked about that last week, and what those enemies are, and how do we combat that. And this week, I want to begin with a question that I think all of you probably at some point have had somebody that could fit into the answer to this question. Have you ever known someone who is just naturally self-controlled, Maybe you got a brother or sister that just kind of gets on your last nerve because they just do everything perfect, okay? Or you know somebody that just is really, really, it just seems like this is just not fair. Like, they were born with a lot more self-discipline than I uh, was. Uh, Anybody here willing to say, I know somebody like that? Maybe, okay, oh, wow, okay, more now that the hands are going up. But um, there was a whole lot of people in the first service. Y'all need to talk to them, but... um, (laughs) Uh, No, I'm just kidding. I have a friend, his name is Chris Rea, I feel like fits into this category very well. It's the kind of guy that gets up at 5 a.m., gets his workout in every day. Uh, Incredibly positive guy. Every time, even though he's like a mini Arnold Schwarzenegger to work out with him, I don't want to be anywhere close to him when he's got his shirt off, but whenever we would work out together, he was always spotlighting me. Like, well, that's so good. It's amazing. I'm lifting like half of what he's got, and he is making it like the greatest thing he'd ever seen was me working out with him. And... um, it is incredible, even down to what he ate. I remember many times us, we would meet in the afternoon sometimes and hanging out, and he would have his little plastic container of his snack in the afternoon, which was cold oatmeal, protein powder, and spinach on top. And I want to tell you, that didn't smell real good after he'd been sitting in that container all day. And I was like, bro, are you going to eat that? God bless you, man, because I am not ever going to eat something like that. That's <laughs> Gross. But it was just fuel for him. Like, that's why he looked the way he did. That's why he was just disciplined. And on top of that, his day job is he was an FBI agent. Okay? He's a, that's the kind of guy you want on your side. You want him <laughs> fighting bad guys for you. And, but what was so cool about uh, Chris is just kind of who he was. It was just sort of flowed out of who, just his person. And maybe you've known somebody like that before. Well, you say, I, this almost feels a little unfair. Like, it feels like we've got different, we were, we were given different amounts of self-control. And, and that kind of begs the question, what if self-control is set at birth? What if self-control is kind of like eye color or height? You just don't get to pick it. It's just in your DNA, and that's that, and it just is what it is, right? And, and maybe to get at this question a little bit differently, Here's another one. Can we grow willpower? Can we grow self-control? Is that something we can actually grow? And as it turns out, we're going to look at it today, yes, you actually can. But in order to answer this more fully, I need, we need to understand Willpower a little bit more. So that's what I'm going to do over the next few minutes is, is sort of unpack this idea so that we can wrap our heads around it both biblically, and, and I think this is going to be really exciting. I hope it will be as, as fun for you as it has been for me to see how God's truth is, it permeates every part of this world. That Both in uh, brain science and in biblical truth, there is this beautiful meshing that they... Absolutely are saying the same things And I'm going to show you some of that today And I hope there's some really cool ah ahas for you That will be very helpful this year So here's what I want to begin with Let's define willpower Willpower is simply the emotional energy needed To withstand temptation Now now we use it in a lot of different areas in our life Anytime you're learning something new You're learning an instrument, you're learning a a new language You're learning a new job, you're going to exercise a lot of willpower In decision making, especially big decisions They're going to be life changing You're going to exercise a lot of willpower If you're trying to persevere, maybe you're doing this right now Through a hard, difficult season of life You're going to exercise a lot of willpower This is just a natural byproduct of how it works in our life. Now, another thing we need to know about willpower is that it is limited. It is limited. It's like physical strength. There's only so much of it. And part of what limits it is what both the Bible and brain science calls being double-minded. Let's start with the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 8. This half-brother of Jesus, James, is saying, people who are double-minded are unstable in all their ways. Like, there is a sense in which when you are double-minded, you don't have integrity. You're not an integrated person. In other words, you're not the same guy or girl all the time. Sometimes you're one way and sometimes you're another way. And that flip-floppiness that we all have a tendency to do causes us more pain and consternation and the people that we love than we could ever know more than we could calculate and it makes us unstable it makes it makes our decision making unstable it makes our lives unstable it makes our future unstable because we haven't picked we haven't decided i'm going to be unified i'm going to I'm going to decide now that I'm going to exercise self-control in this area of my life. Now, what's interesting is Dr. Kelly McGonigal, a psychologist from Stanford, in her famous book *The Willpower Instinct*, says something very similar. She says some neuroscientists go so far as to say that we have one brain with two minds. Wow, I wonder where they got that. So let's talk about this for a minute because this is very fascinating the way in which our minds function kind of the anatomical structures inside the the brain and how they work. So let's talk about these two areas. The first one scientists will call the reward system. The reward system is located in the amygdala of the brain. Those of you that are not brain surgeons, let me help you out with this for a second. I mean, you can always Google it later. But here's one of the the, the most fun ways to figure out where the amygdala is. If you had an arrow shoot you right through the eye, right and it came out the back of your head don't try this at home okay and another one that came right through your ear and where the two arrows would intersect that's where your amygdala is on both sides of your brain uh, and so this area of your brain is responsible for activating when it sees something desirable anytime you see something like oh daddy want you know like you made me not say that but <laughs> that's New car, or whatever, something like that. And you're like, oh, I really, yeah. And it urges you to go get it, to go make it happen. Figure out how to find it. It doesn't matter if you can't afford it, finance it anyway. Just get it. Like, it is the thing that wants, that pushes you to want to go satisfy that desire. Some scientists, now this is actually a scientific kind of uh, kind of vernacular, have called this the Homer Simpson of the brain, which I love. Like, he, they, and they call it that because it's all desire and no restraint, all desire and no restraint. And you may be saying, I know that guy, okay? I know that girl, all desire and no restraint and it can cause a lot of issues for people. Thank the Lord that there is another part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. It's located right behind your forehead and mine, right there. And the prefrontal cortex is responsible for helping us to plan. Anytime you're planning out, you're thinking about the future, you're scheduling things. Anytime you're making decisions, you're using the prefrontal cortex. Anytime that you need to regulate behavior, you're learning something new, this is prefrontal cortex uh, territory that you're in. And it is an interesting area of our, our brain because <clears throat> it is one of those areas that, and maybe you've heard of this happening to people, anytime somebody has an injury to the front of their, their, their skull it, and it injures the prefrontal cortex, it will massively impair their ability to control their urges. Their desires. They they tend to be irresponsible. They have to kind of relearn how to be responsible and how to control their urges. And um, what's interesting is that there's actually things that we can do that can strengthen the prefrontal cortex, that can build it stronger. Now, this is interesting. Again, this is based on research. This isn't just pastor. Uh, speak here, but if we looked at a list of things that would help to strengthen the prefrontal cortex, here it is. Right at the top of the list, you might notice prayer, right? Activities that keep your prefrontal cortex healthy. Meditation. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but meditating on God and his word. We'll talk about that in a little bit. This is so powerful what it does for our minds mentally demanding tasks learning something new as I said earlier exercise which is really fascinating that the um, more and more research is coming out that those of us who are getting older and older, you know, and I'm kind of concerned about this too. How do we hang on to our cognitive ability, our, our ability to think critically and to be able to have your mind working sharp well into your later years? Research shows that all the little mind puzzles on the internet, none of that really works, okay? Now, it doesn't hurt you. You can do them, but Exercise, literally physically moving your body, going for a walk, working out, running, doing something, something to get you sweaty, get your heart rate up. That actually helps your mind, prefrontal cortex and the rest of it, stay strong. And then finally, exercising self-control. Anytime you put constraints on yourself and you say, well, no, I'm not not going, I have a guardrail there now, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to let myself just pursue that. And we stop. It's building the strength of that part of our brain that gives us willpower and self-control. It's powerful that this can actually be worked in our advantage. Now, let me just say before I go any further, desire is not bad. It doesn't have to be bad, especially when desire is satisfied inside God's will and God's plan for your life. It can be wonderful and, and amazing. We just don't want Homer Simpson running our lives, right? No, you know, like we don't want to have those moments. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. And what's interesting is that Jesus backs up this idea of this dual nature of our minds and the way we're composed and the way he created us, really. It was the night before his crucifixion, so the eve of his crucifixion, he had left the disciples up on the, the, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane and asked them to be praying for everything that was about to transpire and unfold. And Jesus went away and prayed to the Father, and he came back, not to find his disciples praying, but, they're all sleeping. And they're all, you know, fast asleep. And he comes over, and some of you may remember this passage. this is in Matthew 26 verse 41. Jesus says this, and this is such a beautiful insight into what brain and behavior, psychology, and and, and science is, is proving now. He says, watch and, let's say it together, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And what's so fascinating is the more that we understand about what causes us to fall into temptation, he's exactly right. Praying is like one of the number one things you could do to keep you from falling to temptation that will destroy your life and mess up your marriage and your future and your finances and your kids. It's incredible. He's exactly right. Pause and pray, talk to God when that starts to happen. And then he says this. the Let's say it here. The spirit is willing. Maybe you've heard that before, right? There's a part of you really wants to do the right thing. Deep down, like you know what the right thing is and you want to do it. But there's this other part of you, isn't it? But the flesh is weak. There's this other part of you that is driven by desire, that is like, oh, it'd be so good if I could just go on and have that right now. I can go ahead and do it right now. What does it matter? I'm a grown man, I'm a grown woman, I can have what I want, I can do what I want. Who am I accountable to? I'm responsible for myself, nobody else. It's just me, it doesn't matter. It's not gonna hurt anybody. All false information, all right? But we fall to it. And Jesus is saying, listen, there is this dual nature to who we are and we need to pay attention to it because this uh, flesh is weak part of us always wants to be enticed to take the easy way out. Last week we saw that um, that was the three temptations that Satan brought to Jesus in the wilderness each one of them was a shortcut it was it was a shortcut to pleasure now you don't have to wait for what god said you don't have to do it on his timetable you can do it on your own you can just go out and seize fulfillment your own way on your own terms in your own time and that always comes back to haunt us and wreck our lives and jesus was so great to show us this is how you combat that that you hold on to God's word. You, you talk to him, and he had already had 40 days of fasting and prayer, been seeking God, so he was ready for what was about to happen. That was really powerful. This is why, over and over, we see in scripture, when we're, when we're faced with temptation, when we're faced with those challenges, that we are to flee, we are to run away, we are to get away from the temptation. Uh, one of the best passages on this in the New Testament, well in the whole Bible, is one that the Apostle Paul gave in a letter that he wrote to young Timothy, his protege. in 2 Timothy chapter two, verse 22. And you'll like that, all twos, okay? Um, this verse really kind of helps us to understand. What is the biblical approach to being able to stop that habit you continue to fall into and I continue to fall into over and over and over and over? How do we do that? There's some beautiful clues and um, just insights in this passage. So let's look at it together. He says, first of all, let's say it together. We are to flee the evil desires of youth. Isn't that interesting? It, it is Typically, when we're younger, that we give in to the most desires because we haven't learned, we, experience hasn't taught us to play the movie and go, wait, I know how this movie's gonna end, so I am not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna go down that road. I'm not gonna do this. And he's saying, you know better or maybe somebody who's wiser older would tell you watch out don't fall into that pitfall stay away from that kind of a relationship stay away from that abusing yourself in that way so he's saying flee these evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart so there's this beautiful two things that are going on here First, he says, you are, when it comes to temptation, you are gonna always, always be better off if you would just remove the temptation or you remove yourself from the temptation. And secondly, that you would do this in community. You would do this with other people, those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So let me talk about those two things for just a moment we're always better off removing the temptation. Let me, let me use just a simple illustration that has happened to me, okay? I happen to really like peanut M&Ms, okay? And if there is a bag, you know how they sell them like the pound bags? Man, those are just evil. Anyway, you put one of those in the pantry at my house and I see it, I'm gonna be going into that pantry a lot. It's gonna be like, is that his new prayer closet? No, that is my <laughs> snack time. That is why I'm going in there to fill up my little fist with some, you know, candy. And it is easy for me to access it. So if I want to not have peanut m ms I just don't allow them in the house or don't put them there. Go hide them. Put them somewhere and don't let me know they're here, okay? Because it's too easy for me to get my hand on it. It's better if I remove it. If they're not in the house, then I'm not tempted I'm not going to get every time I want to get in the car and drive to the store and buy, I'm not, that's too big of a pain. I won't do it. And neither will you most of the time. If you'll remove the temptation, get it out of your house. Put guardrails on where you go on the internet. Have accountability buddy, somebody who's going to ask you, about where you've been on the internet, or what you're doing, or whatever that habit is you're trying to break or trying to create new habits, this is so powerful that we would do this with someone else, that we remove, first of all, the temptation, or we remove ourselves from the temptation. Some of you may say, well, I've got roommates, Will, and man, they're bringing stuff into the house that is terrible temptation to me. Well, I wanna just encourage you, maybe you need to find a new house. You need to get yourself out of the house and find you a new house. Because as long as you're in that house, you're gonna be easy prey to fall to the temptation. And I wanna encourage you that you would find somebody that you can do this with that will hold you accountable, you'll hold them accountable, and you do it together. Um, we're, we're about to, to launch our small groups this spring, and this is one of the most powerful things that small groups have done for some people. It's like, now I've got some people I'm doing life with, and we're praying for each other, and we're getting to do this together, and I'm not just going Lone Ranger style into the dark night of uh, temptation. I have somebody I know is praying for me, and I'm praying for them, and it's powerful. This is why Organizations like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, have had such success because it's like, don't try to take on alcoholism all by yourself. Let's do this together. Have a buddy, have a sponsor, have somebody who's, who's there you can talk to, you can help. And, and the, part of the reason they've been successful is they borrowed their stuff from the church. They borrowed their stuff from the Bible and it's helped. And the same thing with fitness goals, getting in the best shape of your life. If you do this with other people, your success rate goes up exponentially. And so it is with spiritual goals this year. If you will do it with other people, it's crazy how it's so much better. So Paul is right that you would do this along with those, with the call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Other people who are following God, do it with them, right? But, but flee that temptation. Get it away from me. Get me away from it and make it hard. Make it a pain in your backside for you to ever even access it. And make it where you got constraints and guardrails and people you got to call and things you got to do that you would never want to do. And that will make you free. This is how you get free. And this is what Paul was talking to Timothy about right here. So it's so powerful that we understand that self-control goes way up when we do it together and when we remove the, temp- the source of that temptation as quick as possible. So here's the question I want to come back to or I want to ask uh, in another way. Is self-control like eye color? Is it just something that's just set? Is it just like, like height and we just have no way to be able to grow it? I hope by now you're beginning to understand no, it's not like that. It's actually more like physical strength, it's more like the ability to run, and just because you know somebody that might be able to lift more than you, or somebody who's a little bit faster than you, doesn't mean you don't go to the gym. (laughs) It doesn't mean you don't work out. It doesn't mean that you can't get way better, way stronger, and way faster. And it really comes down to being consistent with that. It's just like physical strength, um, it is something that needs resistance, but with, when it gets the resistance, the self control, it will begin to grow. I love what uh, Dr. Bradley Wright, a sociology professor at the University of Connecticut, he in an article with Christianity Today. He wrote an article entitled The Science of Sinning Less, and this was a quote from it. He said, Self control is like a muscle, it weakens immediately after use, but it strengthens with frequent use and as you use it more it will get stronger and that i believe is what paul was trying to teach timothy like you stay doing it you keep seeking god you keep removing temptation you do it together with community and you will be amazed at how much more success you will have this year over last year now how can we strengthen our willpower muscle it is like any muscle We've gotta be intentional, it's gotta be resistance. So here's some of the things that I wanna encourage you to start doing this year. Maybe you're already doing some of these things and these are things that are proven that can help build that willpower muscle. So here it is, start doing the hard things. Like a Bible reading plan. Letting God's word be a regular part of your life. And if you don't have a reading plan or you're kinda like, I don't even know where to get started, if you'll go to our website, brazosfellowship.com, And on the top navigational bar, there's a learn more uh, little area. You click on that, drop it down. In the bottom right hand corner, we have a 2023 Bible reading plan that you can use for free. Click on it, and it'll have a a really easy to follow uh, reading plan as you can begin to read through. Uh, right now, the Gospel of Matthew. I believe reading through the life and work of Jesus, and it's incredible how it will begin to put the wisdom of God into your life on a regular basis. And as you're reading it, as you ask God to begin to speak to you, He will, and there will be certain verses that will jump out, and you'll go, "Wow, what Jesus just said there to Paul, or to to uh, pardon me, to John, or to Peter, or to whoever. I need that." And you may want to say, "Okay, that's a verse I want to commit to memory." And you, you may say, well, Will, I've never memorized a verse before. I don't know how to do that. Write it on a little card, and put it on your mirror in the, in, you know, in the bathroom, or put it in your car, and somewhere where you're gonna see it often. And read it out loud to yourself, when you're alone, when you're, or even if you're not alone. Read it, and begin to let it marinate in your mind. Think about it. God, show me how I'm gonna apply that to my life. How is that, that gonna change my life? Let that be a regular part of your life, and before you know it, it will become a part of who you are. It will become a part of your identity. His truth will begin to inform how you live your life, and it will have such incredible benefits to your life. Next is just working out, running, walking, just going for a walk, doing something. If you do that, it's amazing how it will build self-control and um, willpower. And then finally, a conversation with a stranger. Now for some of you that are extroverted, you're like, no brainer. I got to do that all the time, man. For some of you, this would be a great little challenge just before you get out of the building. Like I'm just going to talk to one other person, right? Cuz you got lots of people you could talk to. Uh, this is a great opportunity to talk to a stranger. But as you do these things, it will make your willpower stronger and stronger. It builds the muscle. Now let's talk about the converse for a minute. What are the willpower depleters? Things that can really sap your energy. Conflict. Getting in a fight with anybody, right? Ongoing fights in your life. Lack of sleep. And finally, this may not be shocking to most of you, social media actually has been proven to deplete your willpower. So if I want you to fall to a familiar sin and just keep you defeated all the time, all I have to do is make sure you get about three hours of sleep, get in a fight with your husband or wife, and then make sure you get on social media for about an hour, and you are primed, baby. You're going to fall. I will take you down, right? Uh, And you're like, well, never invite him over for dinner. Um, But that is exactly what our enemy satan uh, that jesus talks about over and over and over watch out for you have an enemy that and he prowls around like a roaring lion and he's looking for someone to devour he's trying to take you out and this oftentimes is how it happens especially in a world where people are feeling a lot of conflict and they're not sleeping well and they are on social media all the time So it just makes sense that willpower is something that feels like it's always just out of reach. But it's crazy that we can reverse this. We can start making sleep a priority. Going to bed a little earlier. Trying to eat a little bit better. Um, Being willing to nourish your body a little bit better. Um, l- low glycemic foods now you may be going what low glycemic foods you can google that okay but low glycemic foods keep your blood sugar level even it keeps you from spiking when you spike that's when you're most susceptible to like ah, oh, donuts you know like you, you give in way too easy to temptation but if you can keep that level it puts you in a much stronger place to be able to face your day And I just want to encourage you to think about these things that God is showing us through the world that we live in and through his word. It's powerful how it can change us. Another big benefit or big uh, area that can grow our, our willpower is the area of meditation, of really taking the time to meditate on God's word. It's a powerful way to build willpower. Now, I'm going to show you again from God's word, but also... Um, Dr. McGonigal, again, from Willpower Instinct, here's what uh, she said. This is really powerful. Neuroscience have discovered that when you ask the brain to meditate, it gets better at not just meditating, but a wide range of self-control skills, including attention, focus, stress management, impulse control, and self-awareness. Incredible. Incredible. It just makes sense that God over and over in Scripture would say, if you really want to be successful in this life, if you want to be prosperous in this life as God defines it, you have to let meditation be a regular part of your life. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God tells Joshua about this. Like he's he's about to, to go in and bring God's people into the promised land. And there's gonna be a lot of opposition, there's gonna be a lot of difficult things he's gonna face, but here's the thing, the linchpin that God says, if you'll do this, it will help all the rest of that stuff go well. And here's what he says, he says, keep this book of the law, God's word, always on your lips, let's say it together, and meditate on it day and night. Not just, and this is really interesting, like, not just one time a day, it's something you circle back to, you think about it often. And you're not just thinking about information, you're also thinking about application. Because he says, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. It's not just information to know, it is application to do. Jesus over and over just said, he would say, those who have ears to hear, go put this into practice. Because... The man or woman who hears these words of mine and goes back and does not put them into practice is like the fool who builds their house on the sand. And when the torrent comes and the storms of life are going to come, your life, your 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 house is going to fall with a great crash. That foundation is necessary. And the foundation is built from taking God's truth and putting it into application. Then you will be, let's say together, be prosperous and successful as God defines it. So, what does it mean to meditate? It simply means to set aside time every day to read and think about God's word and how to apply it, thinking about that, really taking the time to say, okay God, help me to live this out, help me to live this out. It's not just information to know, it's application to do. And, and I wanna just say this too, this idea of meditating on God's word and taking time to be with God isn't just information to know. Take it a step further, it is a person to know. It is God to know. It is Him as our Lord. It is Jesus, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, to know, to have intimacy, to commune with on a daily basis. And when we come to know Him, that's when our life is changed because we begin to see wow, He is the great reward. Like, he is the greatest thing that I could possibly be pursuing in this life. All the junk this world offers is just that compared to him. And he will become the thing for which your heart longs for most. It will be the object of your desire, is God himself. Because that is the thing that you and I have been created to pursue. It's him. And one of the most beautiful stories of that happening in Scripture is a, the disciple named Peter. I love Peter because he's so relatable. Oh, my gosh, Peter. Man, he, he has a great heart. He, he had well-intentioned, but he was just so impulsive, and he always stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. He, uh, you know, it was when Jesus was walking on the water coming up to the disciples in the boat, It was Peter who's like first out of the boat and like, I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm gonna be walking. And he was walking on the water with Jesus and all of a sudden he starts bloop, 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 you know, going down. Because he took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus rescues him, pulls him up. Later on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah show up. This incredible moment where he doesn't know quite what to say, but he says something anyway. He says, hey, Jesus. How about I make tents for everybody? We'll just live up here on the mountain. And Jesus comes back with something like, Peter, no, all right? and uh, not, not, not what we need to do. Okay, so, and then it's like, again, the eve before the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and it was Peter who was quick to say, hey, all the rest of these knuckleheads, these other disciples, they might turn their back on you and they might abandon you, but this guy never will. I will not do that. And before the night was over, He denies Jesus three times, right? This blows it over and over and over. And what was the name? Jesus was notorious for this, renaming people, giving them a new purpose, a new uh, sort of theme or motto for their life. He calls him Cephas. Petros, we get our word petrified from, the rock, long before Dwayne Johnson, Peter was the rock, okay? And it was so ironic that Jesus would call him the rock because he was anything but a rock. He was so flighty, he was so double-minded. He was like a victim of low self-control over and over and over again. But what's beautiful about this story is that Jesus saw Peter Not just the man that he was, but the man he was to become. And Jesus does the same thing for you and for me. He sees us not as just the men and women that we are today, but the men and women we are to become if we'll keep following him. If we'll keep bringing our low self-control, low self willpower to him, and let him keep growing that muscle, building that bicep, tricep, whatever you want to compare it to, that he's going to keep growing you, strengthening you, but you've got to trust him. And then 20 years passes for Peter. He's an older man now. He's a different man now. And He's writing these loving fatherly letters to the churches trying to encourage them and they're under massive persecution and he's trying to encourage them to remain godly and to hold fast to the Lord even in the middle of the heavy persecution and opposition that you're facing. In 2 Peter chapter one, verses five through seven, it's Peter who says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, let's say it together, Self-control. This—he's this, saying, "Here's what I've learned from following Jesus all these decades." Right? I've learned self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. And what does perseverance open up? Perseverance helps us with godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. That it is self-control to help me to persevere. It helped me to grow in godliness and ultimately it manifests in love. Love for God, love for my neighbor. I would have never gotten there without persevering, learning to build the muscle of self-control through hard, hard times. And Peter had seen it. I love the story of Peter because it gives me hope for me. It gives me hope for us. It It gives such encouragement because if Peter... And and he was anything but a super saint. Here's this guy that struggled with low self-control. He had all kinds of issues. He had a spotty track record of following Jesus. He had all kinds of issues. But in 20 years of following Jesus, he had finally become the rock that Jesus saw that he could become. And if he can do it, so can we. And if you'll keep following him, you'll keep trusting him, make time daily to get that temptation out vanquish it from your life get it out of your life and to pursue him meditate on his word you will become the man or woman he knows you can be as well and your future self will thank you and here's the prayer I want to ask you to pray with me today as we get ready to close out. Jesus, help me to grow the muscle of self-control. I will flee evil desires and pursue you and meditate on your word. And this happens best, as we said, in community, Do it with other people. Please forgive me and be my leader. If you would, let's bow together in prayer right now. And I want to ask you, if you would, just to take that prayer seriously right now. Lord, we come before you. We thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for a beautiful path of truth that helps us to move out of self, um, self-sacrifice uh, in the worst sense, where we give over to our temptations and over to our desires over and over and over. Help us to stop doing that and begin to grow in self-control, begin to grow in willpower that comes only from you, Help us to make time to pursue you and and meditate on your word. All across this room right now, you know that God has said, and I need you to remove that temptation from your life or remove you yourself from the temptation. And you're making a commitment right now to do it. Would you just lift your hands? Anybody here that knows, God's like, it's time. Thank you so much for the, the hands going up all over in the balcony and the floor. God bless you all. God, I pray for the courage for every person who's saying yes to you right now, whether they're raising their hand or not. I just pray you'd help them to, to make, put into action their faith to flee this temptation of youth. God, help them to remove that and to pursue you, pursue you, righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon you with a pure heart. Help us to put that into practice today. You may lower your hands. God, I pray for those right now that would honestly say, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want it. I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to end this service without having God in my life and to get my relationship with him on track. Would you just, if that's you, would you just pray right where you sit? Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you right into my life. I ask you to forgive my sin that has kept me from you. And would you just guide me, direct me, be the king over my life. I want to be a citizen in your kingdom. I want to be a child in your family. Would you just tell him that? Forgive my sin, be the Lord and king of my life. If you just prayed that for the first time, Would you just lift your hand right now? I just want to pray for you. Anybody here, I'm giving my life over to Jesus for the first time. God bless you, sweetheart, right there. Anybody else, I see you. Anybody else giving it over? God bless you, buddy. I see you right there and right over here in the balcony. Anybody else giving it all over to Jesus? I don't want to take another day, another week, another year where I'm just coasting away from God. Thank you, Lord, for the hands and the people that are saying yes to you. And I pray you would help us, God, to move forward with you as you grow self-control, willpower in us, that we can use it for your glory and for our good. We praise you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Once again, thanks for listening